Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join us today. Oh, it's been a wonderful week. We're getting plenty of moisture. It's a wonderful thing. Hopefully, we're not getting too much. Isn't it funny how we do that? We don't get enough moisture. We complain. We get too much rainfall. We complain. Well, you know, our plants are going to love it because it's warm, uh, moisture, and uh, anytime we have higher temperatures and moisture we're going to see a lot of growth or more growth than we would if it was dry all right this time of year plants are still growing don't get me wrong but they're not putting out the kind of growth we've seen in spring because spring is when we get that flush springtime is when we get the most growth we will all year we get that spring flush in some plants like crepe myrtles you can get feet of growth in just a couple to three months but then as we go into the summer things start changing for plants they start going into storage mode not growth mode but storage mode and it is a lot like what humans do and what squirrels do in order to get ready for winter you know during the spring we're growing things we're out and about uh and 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 whatnot but then of course we start bringing in our harvest and we start canning or freezing uh, maybe not everybody does those things but that's the whole idea is that as we get closer to winter um, we're not planting a lot of new things maybe but we're harvesting and we're storing plants are doing that too they're not necessarily putting out tons of growth even though they're still growing they're adding more roots adding more leaves and stems but there is this transition then of course when we get to fall storage mode is in full force because uh, we start to see the, the leaves on the trees change colors the green is fading which is the chlorophyll dying back and it's exposing other types of pigments uh, reds and oranges and yellows green is fading but that is a key signal that the plant is really taking the last bit of water the last bit of nutrition and storing it in its roots so we're getting closer to that i mean here we are in the middle of august but we will be getting into fall soon enough it seems like this year has been going by so fast so start to look at your plants and see what they're doing and if you notice keep this in mind that since plants are going into storage mode if you will keep this in mind that it might be a good time to go ahead if you haven't been feeding your plants regularly then you may want to go ahead and start giving them a dose of something give them um maybe some phosphorus uh, well just well balanced nitrogen phosphorus potassium micronutrients i think this is a good time of year to do that because the plant is trying to store away package up stuff to start canning start freezing it, it's it's food if that makes sense because uh, well plants don't have brains but if they did have a brain they would know <laughs> that winter is coming uh it'll be around the corner uh times where uh, we're not going to have our leaves so we were not going to be able to make food we're going to have to store food 
And that's what they're getting ready to do. So yes, we've seen a lot of growth because of the climate conditions. We have the weather conditions, rather. We've got moisture. We've got uh, definitely still very warm temperatures. And plants are growing. But I don't want you to forget that they're also going to start storing. Storing for the upcoming fall and winter. And it's critical to give them what they need to make sure they get the most out of their storage routine. Speaking of like what's happening right now, I did want to mention a particular plant um, before we get into today's big topic of discussion. But this year, the hardy hibiscus has done so great for me. And of course, my little almost four-year-old Eden Rose, Edie Rose, um, we planted a hibiscus last year, and I told her this was her plant. This was her flower. It's a pink flower. Her favorite color is pink. And, of course, this hardy hibiscus we planted last year, it's hardy, so that means that it comes back through a winter. It's not a tropical hibiscus. It's a, a sort of hybrids of native hibiscus we would find here in the southeast growing wild. Uh, but it's got dark stems and, and nearly purple leaves really pretty. So when she saw it blooming this summer, starting to bloom, of course they bloom in summer and they're still blooming now. Uh, some of the hibiscus just started maybe the past week or two, but regardless, uh, she goes, Oh, my flower, it's back. You know, and it's a great thing, uh, for, for, for daddy daughters, uh, you know, bonding, I guess. But I do want to encourage you to look into hardy hibiscus. They're looking great in my landscape. And uh, they bloom, even though they don't get started till it gets really warm. They like the heat. Um, I just love them. They, the new ones are, are a bit controlled in size. Some of the hardy hibiscus can be quite tall, maybe become quite large because they sort of sucker. But some of the newer ones, particularly by proven winners, and I think it Maybe last year, year before, we talked about some of the new varieties that they're producing through their breeding program. You may need to check that out online at NewSouthernGarden.com or on your favorite podcasting app on your smart device. But they have put out some great new um, hardy hibiscus. They have those classic huge flowers. I mean, the flowers on the varieties I have are over six inches, somewhere between six and eight inches. They're huge. Of course, the leaves are big and the leaves are dark. That's one of the new things that's really coming along. But the size, these hardy hibiscus, they've been in the ground two years and they still, in the course of last year and this year, um, it was two and a half years. But anyhow, they have not been getting very large at all. Some of these are in the three to four range, some are into five, not many many are much larger than that. Whereas the traditional hardy hibiscus, some of the species, they can get quite big, maybe eight feet tall. So these are more compact and they create this, you know, uh, sort of well-branched shrub is what they look like. Now you really get the well-branched shrub look by trimming it back throughout the growing season. So when it first pops up in spring, and it will be well into spring because, again, they like it warm. But I start cutting the new growth in half. Wait a few weeks, then trim back some of the new growth. Wait a few weeks, trim back some of the new growth. Then by the time you've got this well-balanced, well-rounded shrub, <laughs> what it looks like a shrub, let it go, and it will start blooming when we get to the really the later part of summer. Um, it just depends on how hot it gets, how fast. But they will, in a few weeks, when we have our first frost, uh, it could be a couple of months, really, uh, they will get hit by the cold and they will die back. 
Now, they're not dying, just the stems and the leaves are deciduous, so they die back. And the plant literally reverts to underground. So the even though the tops look dead, <laughs> like many of your perennials, the plant is very much alive. It's just in hibernation mode. It's just sleeping underground. So you've got a great um, system of roots, storage units down below ground that are going to be waiting until next spring. Now, the question is, is with hardy hibiscus, do we need to cut them back? Maybe I'm talking too soon on this. Maybe we should wait to talk about this uh, in the fall. But if you do have hardy hibiscus, I say let those stems, even though they're uh, dried, even though they've died, I say let them stay all winter because the stems become quite hollow and bees can make their home in them over winter they'll drill right in and uh, they love a hollow tube or a hollow stem so they'll drill in bore in and and it's a good habitat but then also for the plant's sake because the stems become hollow if you trim that back in fall or through winter then you're leaving these exposed cuts that aren't necessarily healed um, because you force the cut and it's a hollow stem, so water can get in over winter and freeze and maybe do damage to the root system. So put your hardy hibiscus, if you want to go out to the nurseries and check them out, we've got some great hardy hibiscus at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, where you can find me throughout the week. But uh, anyhow, those things, you want to put them in now, just know that put them somewhere where you don't mind keeping those dead stems all winter long. I don't trim mine back until we get past our last frost in spring. So if you're looking for hardy hibiscus now, remember, I'm just trying to give you, an, uh, uh, give you a tip on where to plant it and, and what to expect once it's done blooming. Great plant, though. And we see a number of um, butterflies, hummingbirds tend to come around. They're huge flowers. I don't know really if, if they're going into the tiny little parts to, to drink nectar and all. But they are natives and native hybrids. So look into the hardy hibiscus. Some hibiscus, of course, comes from tropical parts of the world where they cannot handle our winter. But our native hardy hibiscus can handle even the coldest winter like we had last year. Mine have just come back beautifully, beautifully. Another thing, of course, I'm seeing in the landscape are Shasta daisies starting to be done. Uh, let's see, I've got a number of Becky Shasta daisy, which we talked about a few weeks ago in our All About Shasta's episode, which again, you can find at NewSouthernGarden.com. But they're starting to, uh, you know, kind of look ratty. I say that because their seed uh, or their flower heads are dying. They're turning black. They're turning brown. They're drying back. And this is one, one drawback that people um, who have had Shastas in the past, like, I don't like the way they look when they do that. But of course, deadheading is necessary for many perennial plants and Shasta daisy is, is no different. Uh, she does need some deadheading. Now, one approach to take instead of snipping each individual flower heads, is actually just trim the entire plant back. Let it bloom, let it bloom out, trim the entire plant back. Now, if you do this, you're not really going to get many more blooms, but if you've enjoyed the blooms and you've had enough daisy in your life for several weeks, go ahead, trim the whole plant back. I cut mine down to the ground when I do this, fertilize them well, and in a few weeks, the plant is growing back, it is putting on new growth at the base, uh, and it, it doesn't look ratty anymore. Not really getting many blooms anymore, probably, by doing that. Uh, 
but the plant is cleaned up. But I absolutely love Shasta daisies. Uh, the deer don't seem to, to, to care about them. Same with the hibiscus, really. They, they don't seem to munch on them one bit. But uh, yes, once they're done blooming, they look kind of rough. So deadheading is critical. And with some Shastas, they get quite large. Some could be three, four feet tall and definitely that wide. Um, it can be a daunting task to trim them back. But the approach I take is whack them down to the ground. They're not going to bat an eye. They're just going to put out new growth and look you know, decent again until the first frost, which again, when the first frost comes, uh, as it gets cooler, they will start to retreat underground. Those are a couple of things that I'm seeing now that I thought maybe you'd be interested in or would uh, maybe maybe already have, maybe you already have the Shasta daisies and you're like, well, they don't look so good right now. What do I need to do? Cut them back, fertilize them, and uh, you could go out to the nurseries and buy a hibiscus to plant beside it. <laughs> Actually, I have uh, an area where these Shasta daisies are blooming right beside hardy hibiscus. They bloom at the same time, so it's a high summer garden, uh, sort of around our pool area. But when you're at the pool, it's summertime, so you need plants that are blooming in the summer. So be sure to go out to nurseries. Uh, talking about summer blooming plants, be sure to go out to nurseries, garden centers right now. I know it's hot. I know it's kind of been tor torrential storms here and there, uh, but find a good day to go in the summer. Don't just go in the spring when you've got your spring fever Spring fever is a real disease, folks. It really is, and it, get, affects, it affects us all. But summer is a time to go and experience plants that maybe you've never seen blooming before. I mean, there are so many plants uh, that we could be growing in our gardens, but we don't because nobody shops at the nurseries in the summer, really. You know, we've got vacation, school is out, now school is coming back in, so it's busy. I understand that. But if you can go in the summer to, a, to your local plant nursery, you will see things that you don't have in your garden because they weren't blooming in the spring. When you were out there in the springtime at the nurseries, you just saw a pot with green leaves. It didn't look too attractive at the time. But now is the time when some of these plants are really doing their thing. You know canna lilies, but canna lilies are so many different colors, varieties, variegation on the leaves. They're a summer bloomer. Sometimes you buy them in little bags as roots in the spring, but if you go into a plant nursery, you may very well find them in pots. We surely have them at Lanier Nursery and Gardens. But the idea is use this time wisely. Use the summer wisely. I know we don't want to be outside too much, but the idea, of course is that summer is just as important as spring. Fall is just as important as spring. So is winter. So let's think about what we can find blooming right now and go visit those local nurseries and garden centers. Support your local business. When we come back from this break, we're going to talk about more fall veggies. We picked on it last week. We're going to keep talking about it this week. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Well, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking about fall veggies. We talked about them last week, and I only was had time to squeeze in just a handful, just a scoop of them. But I'd like to give you a, a, a double scoop of them today because there are so many. We talked about uh, 15 last time, briefly, 15 different types of plants that you can grow in the fall. And then we talked about five more specifically. So I'd like to talk about uh, as many as we can get in because now, between now and through maybe in September, it's a good time to start thinking and go ahead and sowing seeds for your fall veggie gardens. See, last week we talked about things like collard greens because it's one of my favorite things to eat. Uh, cauliflower, not one of my favorite things, but it's quite unusual and something a lot of folks are, are, are loving nowadays. Kale, which is a superfood. Really, all these are probably superfoods if we're honest about it. Uh, but I think we talk about carrots and lettuce and stuff. But I would like to talk about some of the other ones that are popular and some that you may not be too familiar with or haven't grown before. Now, one of the interesting things about the plants that we grow in the fall time is that most of them actually come from the same group of plants. That's right, the same group of plants. Now, this is the brassicas, the brassica. Uh, see, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, they're all brassicas, and more specifically, most of them are brassica oleracea. Oleracea, now that's a botanical name. But the idea here, folks, is that think about how different broccoli, cauliflower, uh, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, think about how different they are. And yet they are the same species. They just come from different groups within that species. So with the cauliflower and the broccoli, we're actually eating parts of the flower of the plant. The flower before, of course, it opens up. Then with cabbage and um, Brussels sprouts, for instance, we're eating the leaves of a plant. And I think the Brussels sprouts, we're going to talk about those today, but, you know, they look like baby cabbages on that tall uh, spike, a tall stick sort of in the middle of the plant. And essentially, we're eating baby cabbages because cabbages, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, they're all in the same group. But we didn't talk about broccoli last week, and I kind of did that intentionally because I want to talk about some things that maybe you haven't tried to grow, maybe collards or maybe... um. Um, what was it we talked about? Kale. Kale. But, th but today we do want to talk about some favorites, you know, favorites and staples. And broccoli is definitely one of those. It uh, requires a climate that is cool and fairly steady. Now, some broccoli can handle a bit of heat, and those are going to have to be the varieties we probably choose. And I'll tell you one that is right at the top for performing in warm and cool climates. But they would prefer full sun. So again, great plant to put in the vegetable garden, getting six to eight hours of sunlight a day. However, they can go in some light shade, and that may help delay the bolting. Um, bolting is when any of these brassicas, it's a term we use to describe when a brassica goes into flower. They usually send up a tall spike, put the flowers on those spikes, 
And once the plant has bolted, started to flower, it's really not, it's past the point of eating. It's past the point of cutting and bringing into the house, bringing into the kitchen uh, to make a tasty meal with. And broccoli, of course, we're eating the uh, immature flower heads. So we don't want it to bolt too quickly because what we're interested in is actually eating the flower before it opens, before it bolts. So putting it in some light shade, maybe that corner of the vegetable garden where it doesn't get full, full sun, but maybe five hours or maybe four and a half hours of sun uh, may be helpful. But again, you can start these plants indoors like we started some last week. We talked about uh, starting kale, starting cabbage indoors. Um, And of course, the germination temperature needs to be between maybe 60 to 85. So that tells you that you can start some of these outside fairly soon. You can sow them in the ground fairly soon and be ready to go. Um, But they will take about 50 to 75 days for them to be harvested. Uh, some varieties can take over 200. So you, if you have a long-blooming variety or a uh, long-day-to-harvest variety, be sure that you're protecting it over the dead of winter. Since we're doing fall gardening, we got to remember, we're not worried about heat because uh, we're going to get cool. But we are worried when we're growing these fall veggies about it getting too cold, maybe freezing some things out. Last year was a rough year to try to do fall veggies through winter because of course by December we had six degree temperatures and I mean some of our flowering things that can barrel through winter like snapdragons and uh, many of the cabbages and kales they just died right back in that situation so this is definitely a cool season plant um but there is one variety called bell star which you may be interested to look into uh This is the variety I was mentioning before that can handle both warm and cool weather. Um, But remember, we may not be able to do do broccoli in the dead of summer, but you can start a crop of broccoli now for fall and maybe early winter and then start one later in winter in order to uh, get another batch (laughs) or harvest of broccoli in the early part of spring. But... Warm is okay, but extreme heat and hot may not be suitable. But Bell Star is a good way to go. Now, Bell Star also has these uniform heads, uh, very tight six-inch heads with blue-green florets. Wonderful thing to have in the garden, and they're disease-resistant. And its maturity is 66 to 75 days, so we're looking at at least two months, uh, but maybe more like two and a half months in order to harvest. Now, the cool thing about harvesting broccoli is that um, once you harvest it, you may find that you get new but smaller crowns uh, even after that first harvest. So don't cut the entire plant. Just cut the crown out, and then you'll see these smaller, uh, but definitely will be developing side shoots or side um, crowns, small crowns, that will carry through. So you get a big harvest and then you get maybe sporadic after that. Um, Broccoli does like consistently moist soil. So make sure it's getting one to two inches of water per week. You may want to use a drip irrigation system. Ideally, we would not be putting water on top of the leaves and on top of the flower heads 
the florets because that is what we want to consume. And any extra moisture that gets trapped there can cause problems, just like with any plant. Wet leaves can always lead to disease. Uh, but keeping a good layer of mulch, I love to encourage folks to mulch their vegetable garden, just like you would your flower perennial beds or your, uh, your shrub beds outside of the house. Be sure to mulch around your veggies as well. And broccoli is a moderately heavy feeder, which means that it needs a good bit of fertilizer. So use a well-balanced fertilizer throughout the growing season, and that will help your broccoli plants thrive. Now, broccoli, just like many of these other brassica plants, they do have problems with cabbage loopers, cabbage worms. That affects all the brassica plants. So if you're growing other other brassicas, um, like the cabbages, like the Brussels sprouts, be sure to keep an eye out for cabbage looper and cabbage worms because you will be growing all of the plants that they love to chew on. Now, remember, um, you can use a row cover over top of these. If you do that while the plants are young, that will help to prevent um, that will help to prevent these maybe cabbage loopers and worms laying eggs. But one thing is that this we will be going into the fall and we probably won't have as, I'm going to whisper this, we probably won't have as bad a problem with these insects in the fall as we would in the spring. Because of course during the fall we're starting to get cold past the uh, temperatures that they may enjoy. But also flea beetles could be a problem. Again, most of these are probably a problem in the summer, but uh, be sure to... Um, to look out for flea beetles, and you can use a trap crop. Now, a trap crop is simply a crop that the flea beetles like or an insect likes, like radish. You could grow radishes nearby. If you don't care to eat the radishes, you'll just be attracting the flea beetles to those instead of to your delicious broccoli plants. When we get back from this break, gang, we will talk more about growing fall vegetables in your garden. Hang on tight. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are going back into the vegetable garden, particularly the fall vegetable garden. Because remember that, uh, if you remember last week's program, we're really at the time where maybe not just thinking about what you're going to do in your fall veggie garden, but actually starting to do stuff. Starting to do stuff because, of course, um, we're going to be getting into colder weather sooner than later, it feels like. I mean, yes, okay. This month's going to be hot. September's going to be hot. October's going to be hot. But we might have a first frost then. We've had it before. So we're really just like um, two, maybe three months from cold, cooler weather. And what that will bring on is uh, less likelihood of you starting plants to then put into the ground for your fall 
quote-unquote fall. We don't really start our plants for fall vegetable gardens in fall. We really start our plants for fall vegetable gardens at the end of summer. And so August uh, through September is a good time to do most of these things, most of these varieties of plants. Before the break, we were talking about broccoli. But we are going to talk about a similar plant. It has similar um, growing requirements. Uh, It's actually the same species as broccoli, the Brassica oleracea, but you would know this one as Brussels sprouts, very close relative to broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage. They're all in the same family. So they take similar, so they take similar situations. That's one of the beauties of growing uh, fall crops is we really only are dealing with one type of plant. Um, But just like these other fall vegetables, Brussels sprouts also like cool climates, cool temperatures. And particularly with Brussels sprouts, they would like the soil to be below 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So be sure that before you are getting out to plant that you are checking. You could do that today. You could do that right now on your phone or on your computer. Just type in UGA weather stations. And uh, it will send you to a a link at the University of Georgia where you can pick a city near you where UGA has a weather station at. And it will tell you the temperature of the soil at two, I believe two inches, but definitely four and eight inches deep. So be sure to look at, I always look at the eight inches deep uh, because the top is going to fluctuate more readily, even though soil temperatures take a while to change uh eight inches deep is going to change at a much slower rate than the top two inches Uh, but remember if you're growing your plants from seeds they will just be (laughs) in that maybe top inch of soil or a half inch of soil so we don't want that to be too warm to start out either Um, so check out the uga weather stations they can give you some good information for what's going on in a city near you they do need full sun they like full sun they need well draining soil as is the case with most of these plants we're talking about um Now, you need to space these about 18 inches. That's good because these plants are going to have a central stalk up the center. And they're going to, the Brussels sprouts, you know what they look like, right? Little baby cabbages just stuck all on this stalk, uh, sort of spiraling up the stalk. It's really an attractive, strange, strange, but really cool-looking plant. Now, some of these Brussels sprouts can take as maybe soon as 85 days to mature, but which is only two, four, six, uh, you know, almost three months, almost three months. But then some can go up to 145 days. So with that being said, if we plant them, if we plant them soon, 145 days, that's over four months. It's going to be well into winter, I suppose, you know. Um, So with that in mind, What's going to happen? Well, some folks say that Brussels sprouts actually taste better. They actually taste better if they have a frost or two. So they're quite hardy. They can they can hold on through our frosts. Um, probably not freezes. We got to be careful with that. Uh, that we're uh, harvesting sooner than the freeze. But um, regardless, the, some people say that the peak of their taste is after they've had a frost or two. So cold weather is not a problem for them. 
Um, let's see, what do they take? As they're growing, you need to be wary that just like some of the other brassicas, they need one to two inches of water a week. We probably will get that by the time we get into fall. October, maybe not, can be quite dry, but just be sure you're supplementing water uh, if you're not getting rainfall. And again, using a drip irrigation system or watering at the base of the plant is critical because we don't want to transmit diseases onto wet with wet foliage. Um, now, fertilizing Brussels sprouts is a lot like fertilizing the other brassicas. They are heavier feeders, moderately heavy feeders. And using a fertilizer higher in nitrogen for these is going to be critical. You could use something like blood meal, cottonseed meal, or maybe some manure. Um, but that will give a boost to the, the initial development and early production. Uh, the key, though, the key with Brussels sprouts is to stop fertilizing them once the plants have reached maturity and are starting to actually produce. You may have to stake your Brussels sprouts too because those stems get quite heavy, could be top heavy and topple over. I see it all the time. Um, so you may want to consider having some stakes nearby as they are starting to produce. But we, we probably will only fertilize three to every three to four weeks um, until we see that they are starting to produce. Now, as the plants mature and the sprouts start to form that stalk, you may want to consider removing the leaves from the bottom up as the sprouts start to enlarge. So that's how it's going to work with your Brussels sprouts. From the base upwards, you're going to start to see the development of those little sprouts, the Brussels sprouts themselves along the stem. Uh, they, they actually form right at the uh, crotch of the stem and a leaf. But as those little baby Brussels sprouts start to form, start removing the lower leaves as the plant grows upwards, upwards, upwards. Now, some varieties, you may be able to top them out about um, four, four weeks before you plan to harvest to sort of encourage more budding in a shorter time. Trimming the tips of plants, we've talked about this all the time, trimming the tip of a plant encourages anything on the side of the stem to start growing. And since these uh, little baby cabbages, <laughs> the Brussels sprout, is actually a, a little bud along the side of a stem, by snipping out the tip, you will encourage the side buds to start growing. But here's the thing. It's all about timing, too, when it comes to harvesting uh, Brussels sprouts. A lot like timing when it comes to harvesting broccoli. But see, Br Brussels sprouts, so they say, they reach their peak flavor after those first few frosts, and they but they can be picked as soon as those sprouts are firm. So what's going to happen is we don't want to let the buds or those sprouts get too loose. We want to make sure we are probably checking them daily when they start to really develop because smaller and more compact sprouts tend to be sweeter. Um, sometimes when you buy, if you ever buy Brussels sprouts in the stores, even if they're frozen, they're some of them quite large. And maybe you're not getting the peak flavor. I will guarantee that if you grow Brussels sprouts in your garden, if they're homegrown, and you have the ability to choose when that sprout is small but still tight and firm, you will have the best tasting Brussels sprout you've probably ever had. Homegrown and being able to control when they're harvested yourself is going to be so much, much easier. So much tastier, I should say. So much tastier. Um, but... To get the peak flavor, remember, we need a couple of frosts, um, and then you can pick those Brussels sprouts as soon as they're firm, but we don't want them to be too large 
or they won't be tasty. So I hope if you've never grown Brussels sprouts, hope you will. We've done it even at the nursery, and it's always a cool experience, something a little, you know, just a little different. Now, along with different, have you ever heard of kohlrabi? You probably have. If you're a gardener, surely you've heard of kohlrabi. Um, If you've ever thumbed through any uh, seed catalogs or magazines or, or seed websites, you've seen kohlrabi. There's a ton of different varieties from purples to whites, uh, different shades, different sizes. Uh, But kohlrabi, again, is a brassica. It is very closely related to Brussels sprouts and broccoli and cabbage. So it's going to be very similar to grow. But let me give you a few key insights. Again, they like the cool weather. They need full sun. They need even uh, evenly moist soil, but well-drained. We don't want any of these brassicas to be bogging down in uh, too much moisture. And they would like to germinate between 50 to 80 degrees. So you may start some of these indoors. Uh, You could surely start them outdoors. Um, But, you know, we've been in the 90s, so that may be a little too warm to start some of these. Um, But regardless, we talked about starting some of these brassicas under shade, too. That could be helpful in this case. They're quite easy to grow and mature fast. 50 days for most of these kohlrabis. As a matter of fact, you can harvest a kohlrabi as soon as you like, um, but depending on the variety you're growing, that may dictate how and when uh, you can you can do that. Um, you know, kohlrabi may not win any many beauty contests. They're not really, uh, you know, super attractive, but they can add a visual interest in the garden and a nice range of like colors, like I mentioned, with the attractive foliage, sort of uh, kale-like in, in many cases. Um, it is It does look strange. The kohlrabi produces a very swollen base, kind of a stem, nearly, uh, nearly round, like a softball or an onion. Uh, if, if you were to trim off the leaves that emerge from this swollen base, it may look like the shape of a Vidalia onion or something. Uh, but it is a swollen stem. That's actually what you're starting to to eat there. There's a couple of varieties that I would probably recommend to you. Um, Cola Brie, Colibri, Colibri is a hybrid variety. It's got three to four inch bulbs, so kind of a, a smaller one. Um, crisp texture and deep purple tender skin. And that's what you need is tender, tender. And then there's the Cordial, K-O-R-D-I-A-L, which is another hybrid. Now this one um, has sort of early producing but crack resistant bulbs. Some people call that swollen area the bulb with a crisp sense center and rich flavor and a satisfying crunch that's what you look for when you're eating a stem is a nice crunch a nice crunch but um, the kohlrabis are again in the same group as the other uh, brassicas so you may have to deal with some of the same disease same insects being a cabbage family, you're going to see those cabbage worms, the cabbage loopers, flea beetles. We've talked about these. So using that floating row cover on top of all of your brassicas early on is critical. And then maybe even having that trap crop, like we mentioned, with radishes. The flea beetles will go to the radishes before they come to your kohlrabi. I mean, how many radishes can one person eat anyways? Just plant a bunch of radish to trap some of these uh, terrible in insects. Now, I do want to take a moment because we haven't talked much about diseases, but alternaria leaf spot is a fungal disease that, again, likes it cool and damp. 
which is what kohlrabi likes. So be sure to be on the lookout for this alternaria leaf spot, which is going to be either round or sort of an angular gray to brown lesion with concentric rings. That's the critical thing. You will see uh, ring after ring kind of going towards the center of that spot. Of course, using a fungicide would be critical so it doesn't spread, and probably removing any leaves that you see the leaf spot on is going to be critical. Now, I bring that up during kohlrabi, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it could not show up on other brassicas. So, nothing is always surefire. But if you're mulching, if you are sanitizing your tools and equipment, making sure that you're not moving diseases around, usually in a fall garden, we see very few problems. So, I hope if you start growing these plants this fall, you won't have many problems either. When we get back from this break, a few more vegetables to grow this fall. Hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are continuing our discussion from last week about growing fall vegetables because even though it's not fall yet, we've got to start making some decisions if we're going to sow our fall vegetables from seed ourselves. Are we going to sow them indoors and start them? Are we going to sow them in container in containers outside? Or are we going to sow them directly in the ground um, and get our fall veggies going that way? Uh, because really August through September is when we're looking to do these things in the fall vegetable garden. Like I said last week, if we wait too late, then the temperature's too cold. We'd have to create a small greenhouse or something to give us extra heat for that germination to occur. And today we've been talking about things like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kohlrabi. Last week we talked about cauliflower. We talked about uh, collard greens and kale and carrots and lettuce. We talked about a ton of things. And the beauty of growing in the South is that we can grow a ton of things really at any time of year. It's a wonderful thing to be having a garden, having a landscape in the South. There's so much we can do. Um, But if you missed any discussion, if you're new to growing and you'd like to sort of get an introduction to it, uh, growing a fall vegetable garden, and you missed last week's discussion and and maybe part of today's, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. You can check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Of course, we are um, 
on the social medias there and on your favorite podcasting apps on your smart devices, uh, cell phones, whatever we call them these days. Uh, but you can find New Southern Garden there and listen to not just last week's show, but this week's. And you can listen to uh, the shows we've had in the past f- for, what, four, five years now. So let's just talk about our last, um, our last little uh, plant. I think this is all we're going to have time for today is onions onions now earlier this year we talked about ornamental onions and these onions though will be productive onions but just like those onions that are ornamental well the productive edible onions they have kind of a similar situation now we can say that onions can handle about any kind of climate uh, but they really don't like to be growing in the heat of summer So you might be able to start some onions in the summer, but it's got to be a cool summer, really. So now is a good time, and we can continue to plant these uh, into winter. As a matter of fact, when I was uh, working with state agriculture here in Georgia, um, the Vidalia folks, that's when they would grow their onions is over the cooler months. Now, down in the Vidalia area, it's a little warmer than it is up here in the Piedmont. But really, uh, I mean, they were harvesting, I think, well, I think they set uh, Onion Day uh, as far as Vidalia market sometime in April and May. It sort of fluctuated. But they would have harvested these uh, before then, and they would have prepared them for market. So it is a great plant to grow in the vegetable garden in the cool season. The only big question you've got to start with when it comes to onions is how are you going to grow them? Are you going to grow them from seeds? Are you going to grow them from transplants or what we call onion sets? Now, onion sets are basically bunches of immature bulbs that were started the previous year. And they're usually probably the most popular choice for home growers. Now, sometimes we will see onion sets as little baby bulbs too. But the idea is that if you start your onions from sets, you have saved yourself about a year's worth of, of time, and you will have something that's ready to go in maybe 100 to 175 days. So if you start them now, you will have them ready next year sometime. Uh, but with that being said, um, you also need to worry about what kind of onion you're going to grow because some onions, uh, or rather different types of onions, will be grown in different types of locations. So your geographical location is going to determine which one's best for you. If you're in a warm climate, which if you're listening to New Southern Garden, you probably are in more of a warm climate, uh, you would want to go with a short-day onion, which needs just about 10 hours of daylight per day to create that bulb that we look for with onions. Some of those, of course, are the granos, like red grano. There's red rock. There's Texas sweet, white castle, uh, Vidalia, which really Vidalia onions um, are not an onion you and I can grow unless you're in (laughs) the Vidalia counties, and you have to be certified to use that name. But you can still grow a sweet onion. That's the whole point. But if you have a long day onion, you're going to need 14 to 15 hours a day for that bulb to form. Um, With that being said, uh, there are some varieties like Blush, New York Early, Rosa de Milano, Sweet Spanish, and Walla Walla. 
Great one. Walla walla. But there are day neutral onions too, and they're going to create that bulb regardless of the length of day. So if you're in between a warm or rather a short day and a long day area, these would be great for you, like Cabernet, Candy, or Expression, Sierra Blanca, and Scout. There are a ton of onion varieties. Who would have known it, right? So with that being said, how do we plant these onions? Well, the idea is we, um, say, with onion sets, so we've already got our little plant started, we just poke a hole into our soil and uh, make sure the leafy part is above ground, make sure that the white part or the small bulb is below ground. Those tiny little roots need to be well covered, but we don't want to put them in the ground deeper than an inch. Otherwise, we may have some of that bulb development being inhibited as they continue to grow. But spacing is key. It's a key consideration for onions, especially if you want to harvest some early, maybe. that's You can harvest onions early, and they're called green onions. Or uh, there's a, a, a middle phase that would call we would call it a scallion. Of course, that's where we're going to have sort of a swollen base, but not really that full bulb like we're used to. So full-size onions, if you want full-size onions, we need about four to six inches in between plants. If you space them at two inches then you could harvest in-betweens uh, to for scallions or green onions and still leave four to six inches by the end of their development phase. So really, these onions are kind of like one of the easiest things to grow. You sort of set them. They're sort of a hands-off plant. Uh, there's not many, uh, not, not really many pests. Uh, you might see onion maggot, um, but really... They're kind of straightforward, kind of straightforward and easy. But we do have one last concern when it comes to onions and fertilizing them. They don't take much fertilizer anyways, but um, if you give them too much nitrogen, you will have a ton of leaf growth, but you won't have very large bulbs below the surface. So when you plant them, start with fertile, rich, composty soil. Then in, um, as they grow a little bit, uh, you can start side dressing them with small amounts of additional compost, organic fertilizer, uh, whatever you'd like to use. And then as they start to grow those bulbs, we, we, we just don't want to over fertilize the onions. But I have to say that onions are sort of a no-brainer. They're simple. They're easy. You just throw them in the ground, fertilize them just a bit. Uh, make sure you're pulling green onions out if you want some early or shallot, uh, scallions if you want those a little early. But otherwise, I hope that today we ventured through the fall vegetable garden uh, uh, once again. And I hope we've given you some new ideas on what you can grow really soon, this fall vegetable garden. Well, for New Southern Garden Give it that go. and WRWH, I am Nathan Wilson, and I hope you stay well and grow well. See you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.